scripture reading this morning is Romans 15, verses 22 through 33. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and, may, and that my service for Jerusalem Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Thanks, Aaron, and um, others. <laughs> it's just good to hear children making noise. I just that brings me joy. Uh, let's start with uh, prayer, and then we'll turn to God's word. Uh, Lord, um, we just sang that you will never, no, never, nor never forsake us. And Lord, that needs to be repeated. We need to hear that and let it sink in and, and repeat it to ourselves often. You will never forsake your people. We thank you for your steadfast love for us. Uh, Lord, we want to pray for our sister Joanne as she's recovering from uh, heart surgery. Uh, Father, thank you that the surgery went so smoothly, and uh, we pray that you would continue to uh, be with her in her recovery. Uh, thank you for the love that she's experienced from the saints, and we pray that we'd continue to hold her up. Um, Father, I pray for Margaret as she's uh, serving Joanne, Lord, that that would be a tremendous blessing to her, that she would have a taste of the love that you have for your people and caring for Joanne. Lord, thank you also for Jeannie's recovery, that um, it was not uh, as bad as it could have been, Lord, that you uh, are, are strengthening her. We pray that you would uh, continue to, to hold her up as well and, and knit her body together in strength. Father, we were grieved by the shooting that took place in Atlanta. Lord, the, the loss of human life is always wrong. You, we are human beings created in your image, and uh, therefore you told Noah, Noah long ago that if somebody sheds man's blood, by man his blood will be shed. That indicates, Lord, how important it is to preserve human life. And so we pray for the families of those victims who are now grieving losses they never expected to experience, uh, Father, for, for the trauma that uh, the Asian community feels as they've been attacked, uh, watching elderly Asian people um, pushed down and beaten, uh, and now uh, six Asian women in Atlanta shot dead uh, Father, we pray that uh, you would use these traumas, these, these difficulties throughout many lives across the nation to call people to yourself, to remind them that they're not immortal, 
that they're not going to last forever. And Lord, that they might look to you for help and for salvation. And Father, we're most troubled by the shooter, um, a young man who was a, a church attender, whose testimony of his conversion is, is on the church website. Lord, that a man would be so disturbed, so upset that he would shoot people. Um, Father, that, that that would come from our tribe, from our people, is really alarming. And so, Lord, I pray for your church that this might be a wake-up call for us to remember what it means to make disciples, to, to help people um, look away from ourselves and to you. Um, Lord, the young man's excuse or his reason for shooting was because he has a sexual addiction and these women were a temptation. And Lord, that, that's just absolutely the wrong approach to go out and kill people because they tempt you. So Lord, would you cause that young man in prison to look to you, to look to Jesus Christ and not to himself, to know that he's forgiven in you. And so Lord, would your church respond well to this crisis as we, we look to our own folks and say, how are we keeping people from uh, trusting in Jesus? And how can we help them trust him more, even when they're facing sins that won't go away? Uh, Lord, help us to draw people to yourself that way. And Lord, we pray for the country of Myanmar as the, uh, the dictatorship is continuing to be oppressive. Lord, I pray for the church in, in Myanmar. Uh, when I was there 20-something years ago, they, uh, they were flourishing. They were, they were proclaiming the gospel even under that same military junta. And so we know, Lord, that the gates of hell can't prevail against your church. But Lord, we do care about our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray for their safety and their security. And so, Lord, uh, would you be with them? Would you please restore order and, uh, and democracy to that nation? And Lord, uh, through the, the turmoil, lead people away from Buddhism, which can't provide answers to Christianity, which talks about a king of king and a lord of lords, a, a reign that will never be overthrown by any military junta, uh, the benevolent dictator who will lead the nations. And uh, Lord, may that be a message that might resonate in that nation. So would you please continue the work that you began in Adoraiam Judson um, and uh, carry on to this day and uh, bring the message of hope to them. And Father, as we've experienced really wild technical difficulties this morning, it reminds us of our desire to reopen, to begin to meet in person again. And Lord, as we slowly begin to take steps in that direction, as we, we start uh, doing the things that we can do, Lord, I just pray that that would be a blessing, that we would hear multiple voices singing together again, that we would be together in prayer, and Lord, that we would experience the fellowship you intended us to. So Lord, would you bless our plans and our steps towards opening? And I pray, Lord, that that would be beneficial to the saints as we um, begin to live together as we're supposed to. Um, we thank you for the band-aid that we've had of technology to help us uh, stay together in the interim. And Lord, we look forward to what you'll do post-pandemic. What, what did you accomplish in and for the church through bringing a pandemic to the world? And how will you shape the church after? Uh, Lord, we pray that it is only to increase the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word now, would you show us what it is that we need? from your word and convict us by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. So we're drawing to the end of, um, of Romans. And like I said, 
not last week, because Dan preached last week, but the week before, this is turning into the real personal section as uh, Paul talks about himself quite a bit and about um, the people in Rome that he knows um, we'll hear about next week. Um, so when it comes to understanding and applying this, you kind of have to wonder how to do that. What do we get from that? And what we look at is we look at broader principles. And so we're going to do that this morning. Um, what Paul is going to actually show us, what he's going to bring to us is the content of generosity. What does that look like? And the content is going to be something that's maybe surprising because we think of generosity as giving money away. And that's part of it. But what we're going to see this morning is the first piece of generosity is care. That's verses 22 through 24 is just caring for each other. The second part is the part we expect, which is money or support, 25 through 29. And then the last way that we can be extremely generous is through prayer, verses 30 through 33. So when it, when it comes to generosity, I want to hold up two very different people um, to show an example of what generosity might look like. And the first one is really a surprise, and I'm, I'm almost um, like blushing to say it, is Dolly Parton. I didn't think I would be using Dolly Parton as a sermon illustration anytime soon, but she did something recently that was quite amazing. She donated a million dollars of her own money to help fund a coronavirus vaccine being researched. And it turns out that her million dollars helped the Moderna virus, uh, the Moderna vaccine be developed. And that, that's proved to be 94% effective against the virus. And so she gave this money of herself. She just donated it. She didn't know about it until they announced that it was going to work. That's how she found out that, that her money had actually happened or worked that way. Well, she's a native of Tennessee. And so the Tennessee uh, legislature introduced a bill to build a statue of her on the Capitol grounds in, in Nashville. And when she heard about that, she sent a very generous letter that thanked them very much. And she said, please cancel that bill because I don't think it's appropriate at this time to build a statue to me, uh, maybe in the future after I'm gone, but, but not now. So this is a woman who, get, who was a tremendously rich. She's got a lot of money. She's a, a very successful country music author and singer. She's a movie star. She was in the movie Nine to Five. She's opened a co-owner of um, a resort and, and amusement park in Nash or in uh, um, uh, Tennessee called Dollywood. Uh, so she's got a lot of money and she gave her money and then expected no recognition in return for that. Um, so you can look at that and say, well, there's an act of generosity and, and, and a bit of humility and not wanting to be recognized for it. But there's another woman that I want to bring up who demonstrates generosity in a very different way. In, in Mark chapter 12, it tells the story of Jesus going to the temple and sitting outside the treasury. And as he's sitting outside the treasury, he's watching as people come and put money in. And, and they're putting in large, these rich people are showing up and putting in large amounts of money. Now think about the temple for a moment. In Israel in the first century, that was a source of great pride. Do you remember the story how the disciples are walking through and they point to Jesus and look at, look at the great stones, look at this beautiful edifice. So there was a, a source of national pride for them. Um, when they came to the temple, they expected a certain level of decor, a, a certain level of involvement. And so when these rich people are there, that, that might be a source for them to, to say, well, look at how great we are as a nation. But even beyond that, it's, it's a source of religious pride because this was the house of the true and living God. 
And so as they come in and they're, they're offering their money, you could tell they, they might have this sense of, oh, isn't this wonderful what we're doing for our great nation? And then this woman walks in, an older woman, she's a widow and she's poor. So she's probably in rags and she comes walking in and she's gonna put money in the, in the treasury. And you could just feel the, the people kind of draw back and look, what is she gonna do? And she came in and she gave money. And, and I can imagine that the feeling amongst the, the rich folks who are standing there in their fine clothes with their large amounts of money that they've donated, um, it might be something like the feeling I had on January 6th when the insurrection happened. And there's a man standing in the chamber of the house, bare chested, covered in tattoos with um, Viking horns on and, and goofing around inside the chamber. And my reaction to that was, outrage that someone would violate this chamber of the government of the people for the people and by the people and be such a clown in it. And I was just outraged at that. I was so mad that, that people would treat this area, this space that we hold for our democracy that way. But for the, for the Jews in that first century, it went way beyond that because it wasn't just a place of national pride. It was a religious center as well. And so to see this, this woman walk in, probably in rags, and, and throw two copper coins in, they're called lepta, they're, they're worth about a penny. And to throw that in, they must have just thought that was outrageous that somebody would, would trounce into the temple, not dressed in their finest, and, and throw such a paltry amount in. And you're not honoring God with two pennies. But the thing is, there was one man there whose opinion counted more than anybody else's. There was one man who was the greater son of David, who was greater even than Solomon, because Solomon built the temple, but this man said, tear this temple down, and in three days, I'll build it again, something Solomon could never do. And his was the opinion that ultimately counted. And so when he looked at her, he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box, for they contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That was the opinion that counted. And that was a symbol of what generosity looks like, is it's not the amount of money that goes into the coffer that counts. It's the condition of the heart. And so when we look to Paul this morning and we see what he's going to do, he's going to show us that, that generosity is much more than just a dollar amount. It's much more than just money. It, it's something that is that can be given freely by everybody. And so it's gonna be an encouragement to us to be more generous as a people. So the first part I said was care. Listen to how he explains this. He says, this is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing to go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So what Paul is saying is he says, for this reason, he's been hindered. What was the reason? Well, the first half of chapter 15 was, I am going across the region here, through, around the Mediterranean, and I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. I want to go where the gospel has not yet been named. And so that has kept me occupied. Rome, I've wanted to come to visit you for a long time, and I have been able to because I've been so focused on the work. But now that that work is finished, um, that, that uh, there's no more room for me to work in these regions, I'm heading to you. 
And what he hopes is, he says, I want to enjoy your company. Paul is going to go and he's going to enjoy the company of the Romans. Now, remember, he's never met the Romans. He's never been there. He's been hindered from visiting Rome. Um, We don't know for sure, but I imagine that his introduction to the Roman church in a personal way was when Aquila and Priscilla met him in Corinth because they had been ex- they had been kicked out of Rome by Claudius, who excluded all the Jews. And so that might have been Paul's personal introduction to the church. I'm sure he was aware there was a church in Rome, but now he's met people from Rome. And Priscilla and Aquila were big fixtures in Paul's ministry. They're mentioned a number of times. As a matter of fact, they'll come up next week in, in chapter 16. So that is his connection that he has with Rome. Now, it might sound like he's buttering them up because he's going to pass through. He's going to go to Spain. Um, I want to be helped in my journey. So it could sound like he's just, you know, hey, if you guys want to help me with my mission, that'd be great. But you can tell that's not the flavor of what he's doing. He wrote them this big letter. And and it's one of the most powerful letters in the New Testament he wrote to this church. He's not trying to butter them up. He, He wants to be connected to them. He wants to be involved with them. And so his way of being generous to the Romans is to say, I want to come and enjoy your company for a while. I want to come and be with you. So when, when we think of, of this kind of care of going and being with somebody you don't know, if you're an introvert like me, it makes you tremble. I, I get really twitchy about talking to people I don't know because I don't know how to talk to people I don't know. And so it's something that I really have to work and pray on. Um, but what Paul is demonstrating for us here is you don't have to be a great conversationalist or storyteller like Mark Twain or Chuck Swindoll or Garrison Keillor. What you want to be is just pretty much present. Just be with them. Why do I say that? Well, because in 2 Corinthians 10.10, Paul says, for they say, he's talking about his adversaries, the people who don't like him in Corinth. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So they, Paul's basically admitting, look, I'm not the most handsome guy on the planet and I am not the most eloquent speaker, but I'm going to go spend some time. I'm going to take the gifts that I have, and I'm going to go sit with the Romans for a while, even though I might not be the most eloquent. Um, that, that's his gift to the Romans. So he's already given the book of Romans. He's used the gift that he's best at. Uh, his letters are weighty and strong. The, the, the writing has been given to the Romans. I've given you my gift. I've given you my best. Now I want to give you me. And so if you're not the most eloquent, if you're not the most comfortable speaking with strangers, know that St. Paul is right there with you. He, he was not the most eloquent person, and yet he wanted to give more than his spiritual gift of writing. He wanted to give him his, his very self to them. And so that can be a form of generosity that it goes beyond just giving money. You can give yourself. So who is it that you don't know that you think you would, should go spend time with? Can you do that? Can you go sit with somebody? So Joanne right now is home recovering after open heart surgery. Margaret is is staying with her and attending to her. Could you go and help somehow? Even if you don't have the great gift of hospitality and chat and, and, and this charming demeanor, could you be generous in that way? There's a real blessing to being generous beyond what you're comfortable with. And so what Paul wanted to do with them is what we want to do with others. Enjoy your company for a while. Just being present with a person can be a tremendous blessing to them, even if you don't have the greatest stories, 
even if I lapse into um, talking about Star Trek or airplanes and you don't care about either. Um, it, it's just, hey, somebody has come to spend some time with me and visit. So you can do that. That's something that that's possible. Now, the next one is support. And this is what we're used to with generosity is giving money. But what we're going to learn is it's going to be a surprising way that this plays out. It's not what we sometimes expect generosity to look like. So verses 25 through 29, Paul says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia, Achaia um, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what I've collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will be I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here's what's going on. Paul wrote to the Romans as he's heading to Jerusalem. So he's gone through Achaia and, and Macedonia, which is the coast of, of um, Greece. And he's done some other travels. You can read that in, in, Rome, in uh, Acts 18, 19, 20, 21, those kind of chapters, tells of that story. Somewhere in that journey, he's written to the Romans. And his plan is, he wants to take an offering that was collected and travel to Jerusalem and hand it over to the saints who are in need in Jerusalem. So that's his, his plan. That's his, his goal is to get to, the, um, to uh, Jerusalem. And then once he gets to Jerusalem and he delivers this and spends some time, he wants to then head out, go to Rome, and from Rome launch into Spain. So that was his plan. Now, when it comes to this money that he's collected from Macedonia and Achaia, um, we need to kind of go back to, to uh, um, Acts to remember what's going on. Well, uh, Macedonia is where Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea are. So those are churches that he started. And Achaia is where uh, Corinth is. And so he's gone through these churches and he's taken up an offering. And if you want to read about how that happened, what that looked like, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and, um, and there's a little bit of it in 1 Corinthians too. But let me read uh, 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, one through five, to get a flavor for what's going on here. He's writing to the Corinthians who are in Achaia, and he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they, were, for they gave according to their means, as I testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking in the relief or taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what Paul is saying is, is this offering that he's collected, he looks to the Macedonians and he says, they out of extreme poverty, they gave. They gave a lot of money to send to the saints in Jerusalem who are in distress, the, the poor in Jerusalem. So what he says here is, um, as you look at this, this story in Corinthians, what you see is Paul never once, never mentions the amount of money that was given. The amount of money was totally immaterial. It didn't matter to him. What mattered was that each one of them gave abundantly from their heart. So the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God does not love a giver who gives lots of money in a grouchy, in a, in a um, this is really going to hurt me, and, and boy, I better be recognized for this way. God does not love that. God loves a cheerful giver no matter how much they give. So look at Dolly Parton. She gave out of her excess, out of her, um, the, ex, the lots of money that she has. And that was not a bad thing. That wasn't a, a, a condemnable thing. But then look at the widow and what she gave. She gave a tiny portion of what Dolly Parton was able to. And yet Jesus said she gave more than anybody else because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. She gave out of what she, she didn't have because she was trusting the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul said about the Macedonian church. He said they gave a, a abundance of joy because God loves a cheerful giver. And so Paul then is, is trying to admonish the Corinthians to get their act together. They had promised, they had pledged that they would give money. And so Paul, as he's returning to Jerusalem, passes through Corinth again, and he says, get your money together. Um, we don't want you to be embarrassed because you spoke pretty big about giving, and so we want you to give. So on 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, on the first day of each week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he, he gives them the heads up in 1 Corinthians. He says, you made a promise to give money. So what I want you to do now is I want you to start on the first day of the week, gather that money and hold it together and give as you may prosper. He doesn't say, you guys, you got to have this many drachma or I'm, I'm not coming. Or if you don't have this much money, you're in big trouble. His interest is more in giving the generosity of their heart. So it's it's giving yourself, just like spending time with somebody, it's not the content that counts. You can go and spend time with somebody and be goofy and it's fine. It's the time spent with them. The same thing is going on here. It doesn't matter the dollar amount that you, content of your heart that counts. And so you can be generous with your time, spending time with people. You can be generous with your money, but in both cases, what counts is your attitude toward that. How can I be generous? God loves a cheerful giver, a cheerful giver of their time, a cheerful giver of their money. And so the last one is, is Paul brings up his prayer. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in, our, in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He's, he's Finally, he's asking for something that he's not going to provide. He's asking for something that others can provide. Will you pray for me? Will you pray that I will be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea? So now remember the trip, that final trip that Paul is taking toward Jerusalem. He's been warned repeatedly along the way that what waits for him is chains. Um, Acts 19.21, this is toward the end of it, but looking back at what he's, he's uh, said or what he's seen on his way to Jerusalem. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Sorry, wrong quote. But that kind of sets up the story is, is this is he's resolved in the spirit where he's been warned is in Acts chapter 20. 
Um, he mentions in verses 22 and 23, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So this is, this is what Paul has said. He, he mentions it only later in his trip, but he said in every city, as he's gathered with the church, the Holy Spirit has been saying to him, Paul, what waits you is imprisonment and affliction. And so in the midst of that, he writes to the Romans and he says, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea? He knows what's coming. He's aware of what's coming. Would you strive together? Not, not offer a flippant prayer of, you know, oh, by the way, keep Paul safe. But would you strive together with me in prayer to God so that I will be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea? Now, the thing is, when we read Acts 22 and 23, he wasn't. Literally. He, he takes a, a vow, he pays another man's vow, and they go into the temple in order to pay off their vow, and the rumors start that he brought a Greek into the temple, which he hadn't, and so he's arrested, and there's a huge uproar. There's a riot that's about to tear him apart, and so a, a, Roman, a Roman tribune named Claudius Lysias had to come and rescue him, had to come and rip him out of this crowd that was going to tear him apart. And the next day when he appears before the Sanhedrin, um, it, he starts another riot, and, and he's arrested. So he was not delivered from the, um, from the unbelievers in Judea, but he was, wasn't he? he? He was. He just wasn't delivered in the way he expected. He was delivered because that Roman tribute learned of a plot to kill Paul from Paul's nephew. And because he learned of that plot, he sent Paul out of Jerusalem with a huge military escort. He was delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, just not in the way he expected. He didn't expect to go in chains, but he did. So God can sometimes answer prayers in very peculiar ways, in ways we just are not expecting. Um, Paul's desire was to go to Jerusalem and then press on to Rome. He, his anticipation was he would go to Jerusalem, present the offering to the saints, travel to uh, Rome, and then get ready to head off to, uh, to Spain. What really happened was he got to Jerusalem, was arrested, was put under um, house arrest in Caesarea for at least two years, preached to the most powerful folks in the area, which was uh, Felix and Festus, and to Herod himself. And then Rome pays for him to go to Rome because as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. And so Rome is the one that sent him to Rome. So he got there, but just in this, this way that he didn't anticipate. So God can answer those things and can keep his word even while Paul is imprisoned. So the lesson I think we need to learn from this is don't judge your prayers because of the immediate situation. While Paul is sitting, is about to be beaten in Jerusalem by the, um, the, the Roman tribune to extract an answer from him, you could look at that at that moment and say, well, our prayers failed. God didn't answer. Look what's about to happen to him. But when we step back and look at the larger picture, God answered our prayers. God answered the prayers of the Romans as they're praying, Lord, deliver him. He brought Paul through uh, an imprisonment, through a trial before Herod, through a shipwreck, through being bitten by a snake in, in um, um, yeah, the name of the island is escaping him, in Italy, <laughs> and then shipped him off to Rome, where he got there and he was welcomed, Mylita. 
Sicily is the name of the island. <laughs> I couldn't brain lock. Um, so don't judge the content of your, or don't judge the success of your prayers by what's happening immediately. God is able to answer in ways that, that we don't expect. So you can be generous with your prayers, even when they feel like they're not being answered. Have you been praying for the last year, for the end of the pandemic, for the church to get back together, for us to be able to meet um, wisely and carefully with, with care for each other, and been frustrated because it was going to be two weeks to flatten the curve, and then it was going to be a couple of months, and now it's kind of went up on a year. Well, look where we're going now. Now we're heading into Easter, and the Lord is going to answer our prayers, and probably in a wonderful way that we weren't expecting, because we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so don't be overcome by the situation when you're offering your prayer. The Lord loves a, gener a cheerful giver. So we can be cheerful in giving both by spending time with each other, by giving money, but also by prayer. Prayer, have you ever considered prayer a form of generosity? Offering your heartfelt feelings to God. And remember, it's God loves a cheerful giver. When you look at the section we just looked at, there is not one single imperative in there. There is not one direction from Paul saying you must do this thing. Instead, what he does is he paints us a picture of what it looks like to be generous, what it looks like to give yourself. And so let's go be generous kind of people. And you don't have to wait till it feels normal and right and good. You can be generous with the awkwardness that you already have. You can be generous by giving, even if you're not giving very much, because you know God loves a cheerful giver. It's a matter of the heart. And it really, isn't that the theme of the book of Romans? Romans has been about the idea that we are justified by faith through our faith alone in Christ alone. And so it's, it's been right from the very beginning, a matter of the heart, not the externals. But do you trust? Will you hope? And so even here in this, this personal application section, it's a matter of the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Um, if you're not cheerful, <laughs> if, if it doesn't make you super ha abundantly happy to go sit with somebody that you don't know and talk with them, how do you overcome that? Well, there's a promise there. God loves a cheerful giver. So you can use that as a way to wedge your heart into saying, I don't have to do this perfect. I don't have to be super comfortable with it. Um, I'm just going to do whatever God leads me to do because God loves a cheerful giver. So fight that battle in your own heart with the promise of God's love. It has been a matter of the heart from the very beginning of the epistle. So with that, let's, let's close again in prayer and just anticipate what's coming on Easter in the message of the resurrection, but also kind of the resurrection of the church as we come out of a year of, of lockdown and isolation, we, we emerge from a digital tomb, if you will, <laughs> and, and, and walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us of what generosity is. It's not an amount. It's not the content. Lord, it is the matter of the heart. And so, Lord, would you give us all, everybody, this desire to be generous givers, to give of ourselves, of our time, of our resources, of our prayers. And Lord, would you bless us in obeying that? Would you show us your love as you honor our gifts? And Lord, may we remember to give them freely as Christ himself is the model for this generosity. He left heaven. He left his privilege in heaven to take, add to himself a human nature 
and not just any human nature, but the form of a servant. And so, Lord, as you are working to conform us to the image of Christ, what you've predestined us for, Lord, may we remember that generosity is a big component of that. Self-giving is the heart of it. And Lord, we ask this in the blessings of Jesus Christ, in the hope of God. Amen.